I have to commend Ethan for the way he leads us, but also for using the words mushy-gushy. Wasn't that good? Mushy-gushy, all right. Yeah, yeah, that went over like that. Yes, the children, if you will, four- and five-year-olds, you may be dismissed at this time. Uh, you can go right over here for children's worship, uh, right over there. Miss Paula is standing there at the door, and she's ready to take you on out to children's church. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to open it up to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Uh, we, are, uh, we are in a series uh, entitled Real People, Real Jesus. And this morning we come to um, a topic that, um, that's probably not real exciting for a lot of people. It's probably, you know, not real, uh, not real intriguing, not real uh, just enthralling for you to say, Oh, yes, today we are talking about the Sabbath. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those subjects. But it has a whole lot in here for us. This morning we are continuing to see how Jesus attacked the system of the day. The system of religion of the day when he walked the planet um, was deadly, it was dangerous, and he attacks it. And so let's just look at it together, uh, beginning in verse 23, Mark chapter 2. The Bible says, if I would get in the right place, I, I could read that. I'm in Acts. How did I get to Acts? That ever happened to you, Parker, when you're teaching? All right. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath... He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as I come to this text, Lord, I pray that I would not, uh, I would not be dependent on my own strength. That I would not preach out of my, my own ability. God, I come to you bankrupt, knowing that if anything lasting and eternal is going to take place here today, it will be because you preach through me. Lord, I pray that you would um, anoint me with the Spirit of God to be able to preach. Lord, I pray that for the people who are sitting and listening, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart. God, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, that you would supernaturally allow them to understand, to comprehend what we're talking about today. God, that today people's lives would be changed because the Word of God has been preached. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to talk about Sabbath. And uh, Jesus here comes very boldly onto the scene, and the Pharisees, we've been noticing, have been dogging him at every step. They've been following him and watching him from a distance. And, and up until just these past couple of uh, instances, they have just finally mustered the courage to actually confront him. 
They had had thoughts about him. Why is, he, why, is he, why is he doing that, thinking that? And Jesus had read their thoughts. They had whispered among themselves. They had gone to his disciples and asked his disciples, why is he doing that? And Jesus had overheard and he had confronted them. And now, finally, they personally are confronting Jesus. And here it says that he's walking through a grain field and his disciples began on the Sabbath to collect grain from a field. And this was a law, this was permitted in the law that they could do this. They could not take out uh, you know, a, a John Deere tractor and drive the combine through the field or anything, but they could just take enough, if they were hungry, in their hand, rub it together, blow the, the chaff off, and they could eat. There was a provision in the law for this, and they're doing this on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, it says, they began to say, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's what I want you to see before we dive into the text. What were the Pharisees doing in the grain field? This is how bad they wanted to take him down. They were dogging every step he took, even to the point of stalking him through the grain field. Isn't that, isn't that funny? It's just kind of a, an interesting point in the Scripture. Are y'all, are y'all awake and alert today? Because y'all look good, but, you know, you're just not getting much out of you. But um, they're there. They're dogging every step that he makes. That why are you doing what's not lawful? Here's the first point I want you to see. I mentioned it last week, and it carries over to this text today. Religion always carries things to an extreme. Religion always takes things to extremes. Here, the question is not fasting like it was last week, but this week it is Sabbath. Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath, Jesus? Well, the question is, we have to, t- we have to ask is, what is the law of the Sabbath? What did God say? Well, for that, I would take you to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. You can either write that down or turn there or listen along as I read. But Exodus 28 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What did God say? What did he say in his law about the Sabbath? Remember it. Keep it holy. Don't work. In essence, there's really only one command there from from God and it is How you remember and keep the Sabbath holy is by not working. So don't work. Really, God, all he had said was, take a day off. This was a group of people who were working seven days a week from sunup to sundown. They were hardworking people. And all God had said was, take one day. Just take a day. Is that bad news or is that good news? It's good news, right? If I'm working seven days a week and my boss comes to me and says, hey, take a day off. And not just this week, but take it off every week. Take a day off. All of a sudden, my view of my boss goes up. 
I love my boss. My boss gave me a day off. But look at what religion does. Religion takes it to extremes. What had the Pharisees said about the Sabbath? Plenty. In fact, the Talmud was 24 chapters outlining and defining 39 different activities that could not be done on the Sabbath. 39 specific activities, and then they took 24 chapters to explain what they meant with those 39 activities. Do you see this? God says, take a day off. They say, wait, on that day off, you cannot do this, you cannot do this, you cannot do this. They go on 39 times, then they explain what they meant in those 39 times. Let me, list, let me list for you the things that are forbidden, these 39 activities forbidden by the Pharisees, man on the Sabbath. The Talmud specifically says planting, couldn't plant, you couldn't plow, you couldn't reap, you could not bind sheaves, you could not thresh, you could not winnow, you could not select. Now, that one needed some definition, as all of them did. But in selecting, it meant that you could not come to a group of something, particularly in the area of food, and you could not look at that group and say, that's the one I want. Now, lest you say, what's wrong with that? Let's say you're eating fish. And let's say that that fish is still on the bone. You could not pick the bones out of the fish. Let's say they thought of this ahead of time and they filleted the fish and they fixed the fish and they had it on the Sabbath, but in their eating there was a small bone that was missed in the fish. Couldn't pull that out. Let's take it to today. Let's say you're at home, you've been a good person, you have fixed your food ahead of time so that all you have to do is eat on the Sabbath. And in so doing, you look at your plate, and there's a hair in your plate. You would not be allowed to say, I really don't want that hair to go into my mouth. You would eat that hair. And everyone's saying, glad I'm not a Jew. More, let's go on. You could not grind, you could not sift, you could not knead, as in kneading, kneading dough. You could not bake, you could not shear wool, you could not wash wool, you could not beat or comb wool. You could not dye or spin or weave wool. You could not make two loops <laughs> with thread. You could, not, uh, you could not weave at least two threads together, you couldn't separate two threads, you couldn't tie, or you couldn't untie anything. You couldn't sew uh, at least two stitches. You couldn't tear for the purpose of sewing. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't trap anything. You couldn't trap an animal. Now, you could keep a pet contained because you, that was a pet, but you couldn't trap a wild animal. And some of them had backyards, and they had fences. Well, if it was a large yard, it wasn't considered trapping. But if it was a small yard and had a gate, it could be considered trapping if a wild animal came into your your yard, and you had the fence closed on the Sabbath. Let's go on. You could not slaughter. You couldn't take the life of an animal. You couldn't flay it. You couldn't separate the hide. You couldn't cure the hide. You couldn't scrape the hide. You couldn't score the hide. You couldn't cut it into pieces. 
I, I love this one. This one's just funny to me. You probably won't laugh. But you couldn't write on the Sabbath, and you couldn't erase on the Sabbath. The reason that's funny to me is it's almost like somebody said they started writing and Oh, it's the Sabbath. And then they erased and they broke two laws. They were doubly guilty, you know, on the Sabbath. You couldn't build. You couldn't tear something down. You couldn't extinguish a fire or ignite a fire. Now, that one's interesting because to turn on a light switch is to start a fire. You couldn't turn a light switch on. They didn't have electricity then. But today, as they still practice this, you can't turn a light switch on. Or could you turn it off? Today in Israel, Mark Driscoll tells this story, uh, there are what they call Shabbat elevators, the Sabbath elevators in Israel. There are actually some in New York where there are in other cities where there are Jewish populations in, in different buildings. And um, he tells the story, he was in Israel, and he uh, got on this elevator, and he looked, and he saw the sign, and it was the Shabbat elevator. And he noticed that all the floors, all the buttons were just lit up. And he said, uh, he said um, what's up with this elevator? Is Shabbat, is, is it Hebrew for slow or what, you know? And, and, he said, and they said, no, no, it's the Sabbath elevator. We're not allowed to ignite a fire or to extinguish a fire. And to push that button would do that. And we just can't do that. So this is the Sabbath elevator. And all it does is it goes from floor to 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 floor. Up and down all day long on the Sabbath. And he said, is there a Gentile elevator? <laughs> and they said, oh, yes. And the doors opened, and the Gentile elevator was across the way. And he got out, and he went into the Gentile elevator. And as he did, all of the Hebrews in the elevator behind him came over to the Gentile elevator, and they said, would you please press number seven? <laughs> this is religion. This is hypocrisy in religion. You, the Sabbath required that you have a flame burning, a candle or an oil lamp burning all throughout the Sabbath. But you had to light it in order to meet the, the, the requirement. You had to light it before the Sabbath and not extinguish it till after the Sabbath. Anybody have kids? Somewhere in Jewish history, some child knocked over this lamp, Right? They either played with it or they knocked it over. The law actually required that if your dwelling caught on fire, you could extinguish that fire if someone's life was in danger. But if you could get out and no one's life was in danger, you could not extinguish that fire. Your place just had to burn. Is that not silly? It's ridiculous. It goes on. It says that, that you could not, the, the, the Talmud says that you could not apply the finishing touch. It meant that if you started something before the Sabbath, you couldn't finish it on the Sabbath, which I love that one. You know, the, some of you don't like finishing what you start, you know, so that would be good for you. You, you couldn't transfer between domains. It meant that you couldn't carry something from one place to the other. They were only permitted to go at maximum 3,000 feet away from their dwelling. And some of them lived, lived back on an alleyway, and the buildings created a, a yard, if you will. And what they could do is they could, go, they could go out to the end of their street, and they could, uh, before the Sabbath began, put a rope between the buildings. And what that would do is that would then, in God's view, make that part of their dwelling. 
because the gate was closed at the end. And then they could go 3,000 beyond that. Do you see the ridiculousness of this? Do you see how religion takes things to extremes? Do you see where they were coming from when they said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus knows they're breaking no law. No law of God anyway. They may be breaking your law, but they're not breaking my law. Religion is dangerous. Religion is dangerous because it creates standards that are impossible to live up to. And then as soon as you don't live up to them, it damns you where you are. Religion is dangerous. Notice that the Pharisees were apparently, remember, stalking him in the grain field. They wanted to catch him. Well, before we leave this place saying, boy, those Jews... They just take things to extremes. Before you go out of this place and say that, that, uh, that, that I'm right up there with, with, uh, with Hitler or whoever else, we have our own religious rules. Hear me on this. We have our own Sabbath rules, don't we? All of us, as a denomination, as a church, and as individuals, all of us have things that ta- are taken to the extreme. We never find them as part of God's law. We simply have added them over time because we have, they have become part of our tradition. They have become part of what's expected. I remember going to church growing up, and, and I would, it was like any typical boy, I would come into the room, and my mom was the pastor's secretary, and, and so I was really close with the staff and all this kind of stuff. My family was, was influential in the church, and I would come in the door, and I would begin to take off, and before I could take that second step, I heard, No running. Don't run in church. I would go and I would sit in the pew and I would start to squirm and I would get the whop. Sit there. Be still. Right? All of us have had these things that are nowhere in God's law. But they become expected because it's part of the norm. We have, uh, uh, in Scotty Stone's Sunday school class a, a week or two ago, we began to talk about things that, that uh, either are okay on the Sabbath or not okay, they're sin or they're not, or they're borderline or whatever. And uh, one of the things that, that just floored me and my wife is that one of the examples was playing cards. And everyone in the room said, oh, no, you did not play cards. Well, my wife's family grew up playing rook. Well, it was very obvious very quick that, didn't matter if you were playing for money or not. Playing cards was sin. You didn't get anywhere near it. You didn't have them in the house. You didn't do it. Where's that in here? Now, some of you right now, you react to that saying, there's nothing wrong with that. Before you think that I'm being harsh and judgmental, I would tell you, I have the same hang-ups. There are things that I expect Because it's how I've been brought up. And I'm enforcing those on my children. So this is not me calling you sinners. This is me pointing out to you that all of us have a tendency to become religious. Well, 
in dealing with this issue of religion, let me quickly give you three things. Three things that we must keep in mind when it comes to this issue of Sabbath, when it comes to the issue of religion, when it comes to the issue of legalism, so that we can guard against being religious and legalistic, okay? Three things I want you to consider from this text. Number one, Scripture gives us clarity and is our authority. That's what we have to come back to. Scripture is our authority. It gives clarity on these things. Look at what Jesus does. He did what he always did. He points them back to Scripture. He says to them, when they say, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? He says to them, have you never read? Have you never read what David did when he was in in need and was hungry? He went into the temple, into the tabernacle, went to the priest. Do you have any food? All we have here is the bread of the presence. This was required in the law that every week they would bring 12 loaves of, of, of hot bread and sit it on this table. It was the bread of the presence. It was to demonstrate that God alone was their provider. At the end of that week, those, that bread was taken off of that table and 12 more loaves were put on. And the old bread that was taken off, it was unleavened bread. And in that climate, it would become cracker-like. And it was permitted for the priests, the priests only, to eat that bread. So when David comes in and says, do you have any bread? The story goes, the priest says, all we have is the bread of the presence that has come off the table. But the men that are with you, are they clean? Have they been with women? David said, no, we have not. We are fleeing from Saul. We've, we've not done that. We are clean. And the priest gives David and his men the bread of the presence. What's what's Jesus' point in all of this? Well, here's the point. The point is that if God never reprimanded, never reprimanded David or the priest for breaking a God-given law, then surely his disciples would be okay to break a man-made law that was instructed to them by not a priest, but Jesus. Do you see it? Jesus says to them, look, you're missing the point. The point of the law is not for you to say, I must keep the law, I must do the law, because in the end, you can't. In the end, it was to teach them their need of God And to show them the mercy that he would show them so that they could in turn show mercy to others. It's what Hosea 6.6 means when it says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. They claimed, the Pharisees claimed to love the word of God so much, yet often they ignored it or they added to it. That's why Jesus was constantly saying, Have you never read? You claim to love it so much, but have you forgotten this passage of Scripture? Don't we also claim to love the Word of God? As Baptists, we have fought and won the battle over inerrancy of Scripture. We have come through the conservative resurgence back in the 80s and 90s. Don't we also, as Baptists, claim to love the Word of God and say that it is our authority alone? Yet how many times do we ignore it 
or add to it? How many times do we make decisions based on tradition or preference or desire or whatever's comfortable? Now hear me in this. I'm not saying to you that we need to get more religious and we need to care more about the Word of God. What I am saying to you is when it comes to religion, what we must do is we must guard against being legalistic and religious by constantly coming back to the Word of God and saying, it alone is our authority. It is from God. It is His Word. It is infallible. It could it has no possibility of having mistake. It is inerrant. It does not have mistake. It is authoritative, meaning it is from an inerrant and an infallible God. And it is sufficient for every single thing that comes along. That's what we have to come to. We cannot keep going through our lives making decisions based on culture or based on whims. As a church, we must look at everything we do through the lens of Scripture and say, are we obedient? What are the man-made expectations and regulations that we have forced on our situation? And what does God say about it? In your own personal life, is it really your authority? Do you go to the Bible to find out what it says about dating and marriage and, and, uh, and, and work and time and money and church government and national government and gender and, and your neighbor and all those things? Do you go to the Word of God and say, it is truth and it is authoritative over my life? That's what we must do. If we don't, then we are in danger of being just as religious as those Pharisees. Y'all with me? Okay. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We must constantly come back to the Word of God, not in a token way, but we must say, we don't worship the Bible, but we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Secondly, to guard against legalism and religion, we must always remember that God's laws are gifts for our benefit, not burdens to bring us down. They are gifts for our benefit, not burdens to restrict us or to bring us down. It's what he means in verse 27 when he says, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying to them is, you have made this the worst day of the week. God came along and said, take a day off. Recreate. Seek me. Find ultimate pleasure in me. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Rest. Get recharged for the week. But they had come along and said, mm-mm. It's 39 things you can't do, and that's really not 39. It's more like 613. They made it the worst day of the week. God had intended it to be a gift. And I, I couldn't help but think, how many things has God intended to be blessings for us, but we have turned them into burdens? I spent a lot of years in youth ministry, 
And some things don't change. There's still a lot of temptation. There's a lot of temptation to have sex outside of marriage. Teenagers would say, but I don't understand why I can't. What's the big deal if we love each other? It's not just teenagers, it's adults. God God just really, he just really wants to spoil my fun. He just wants to get at me. No, he doesn't. He knows what's best for you. The plan he has in mind with waiting until a man is married to a woman in a faithful, committed, singularly devoted relationship, covenant of marriage, is far greater than what you could get on Friday night that will last a short amount of time. You see that? We have taken things that he meant to bless us, and we've made them burdens. Do not become drunk with wine, the Bible says. (laughs) Really? Contained in that is is the principle of don't put anything in your body that will cause you to begin to lose control of your mind, lose control of your capacity to communicate. I watched my sister, not the one who's here with me today, my older sister. I've watched my sister for years struggle with drug addiction. She's been arrested in and out of jail. She's done all sorts of things, and and, uh, she's had a hard, hard life. And today she's getting ready to be 39 years old, and she's depressed, and her life is empty. Do you think if she'd have come to this, this command in the beginning before she ever took the first substance and said, you know what, God knows what's best for me. He says, don't become drunk with wine. I'm not going to do this to me. I'm going to be obedient to God because I'm going to say that he is worthy of my devotion and I'm going to obey him. Do you think that now she would say, you know, I'm pretty good with my decision. I, I, you know, I don't think I should have done that then. No. I think she'd go back and say, if I could do it all over again, That was a blessing, and I missed it. There are all sorts of things in Scripture that are God's laws for us, and He means them to bless us, to nurture us, to conform us to the image of Christ, to do what Ethan said up here a minute ago, to satisfy us so that when we're satisfied in Him fully and completely, that He would be the focus of our devotion and He would be glorified in us. We have to remember that Scripture is our authority, it brings clarity, and that His laws are not meant to burden us, but they are gifts to set us free and to bless us. It keeps us out of legalism and religion. The third one is this, and I'm through. Jesus is God, and we are not. Jesus is Lord and we are not. That's what he means in verse 28 when he looks at these Pharisees. They've just said, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? He says to them in verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, guys, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You're not. You don't get to say what goes on here. I do. I'm the creator. I'm the sustainer. I'm Lord of all. There's so many people that struggle with this issue. This issue of lordship. 
There's so many people who have prayed a prayer and signed a card and been through the baptismal waters, but they've never come to this place where they've said, you know what, I'm not Lord of my life. Jesus is. He's Lord of the Sabbath in my life. He's Lord of everything else. We don't get to make the rules and we don't get to judge others when they don't live up to our rules. He's God and we're not. I'll close with this. There are probably many of us in this room that are shackled by religion. We're trapped in it. We're trying to live up to some standard. We're living up to some expectation that someone has put on us at some point in time. And what we need to do is we need to say, you know what? I'll never live up to that. They will always condemn me when I fail But you know what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He stepped out of heaven. He went to the cross. He bore the wrath of God for my sins. He was placed into a grave. He was raised on the third day. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I, if I put my faith in him, I don't have to live up to their expectations anymore because I'm made right in the sight of God. Amen? That's the gospel. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we this morning confess to you that in so many ways we are religious and we take things to extremes that you never, you never intended. We have made what you intended to be blessings for us. And we've made them burdens. Lord, I pray for the person in this room today that is caught up in legalism. God, I pray that you would call them to yourself. That you'd call them out of that. Lord, I pray that you would indeed keep us from trusting in ourselves. And that we would trust completely in you. And that we wouldn't just go out and live. This is not even possible. We can't claim faith in you and then go out and live however we want. But God, I pray that you'd bring us to the point. Bring all of us to the point where you are Lord. That is a fact whether we believe it or not. But God, I pray you'd bring us to the point where we appropriate that in our lives. Where we are under your Lordship. God, do whatever you want to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ethan's going to sing. I want you to remain seated where you are just for a time of reflection because I want you to think about what you've heard today. We want to be very intentional about calling you to think about what's been said. And then after a time, Ethan will lead you to stand, and I'll be here at the front. And you can respond. Don't respond based on emotion. Respond based on what the Spirit of God has called you to do today. No more, no less. Think about what He's done for us. Ethan, you lead us. Thank you.
let's stand together and sing that first verse. Grace unmeasured, vast and free. Grace unmeasured, vast and free. The new me from eternity. The call. Amazing. Grace amazing, pure and deep, the song me in my misery, that took my curse and on my blame, so I could bear your righteousness. God's people said, amen. amen. We're going to uh, go into a short time of business. We have to vote on a, the nominations for the nominating committee. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to be seated. If you are a 